0: Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas, to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond, I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. welcome to this episode of outdoor adventures with jason today i'm excited we're doing something a little different i've got clay groves on from fishnerds.com hey clay
1: how are you doing hey good you know i we have something in common we both have a y in our name there you only go. one of us spells our name correctly
0: <laughs> well you know there can only be one real jason Yes, yeah, everybody true. else is wrong
1: <laughs> yeah but hey, i am happy to be here and i'm a so welcome to the podcasting sphere and uh I was happy when you reached out to me, and uh, I'm just really happy to see more people doing the podcasting game. It's it's such a fun pirate world we live in.
0: Well, and it's it's interesting. I wanted to have somebody on. uh, Growing up in northern Michigan, or in Michigan, ice fishing was not an uncommon thing.
1: It's the best thing.
0: I live down here in South Texas now, and the only ice fishing that gets done is when the ice is in your drinks. And (laughs) so it's... It's a very it, it's a different concept for people to think that you actually go stand out on ice. And why would you do that? And they don't get how fun it is. So it was really neat to, to do this kind of partner up with you to, to talk and, and just bring a different um, a different perspective to to the podcast.
1: Yeah, and it's great. And, and uh, as as uh, you pointed out, uh, ice fishing is my thing. I love all kinds of fishing. Uh, and by the way, my show is not just about fishing. It's about fish, fishing and eating fish. The entire world of fish is appropriate for us. So whether it's a fishy news story or a fishy biology story, we have uh, correspondents around the world ready to report on all things fish-related. So we are not just fishing, although I'm a little obsessed lately with just fishing. But <laughs> there are months where we just do biology and dig in on that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a ton of fun to do. And in, in the podcasting world, as you know, you do what you feel like doing. And it's your show. So it's totally great.
0: Exactly. Well, that's fantastic And that you've got... You know, when you listen to your episodes, you like you said, you have people that will report in from all around. Yeah, and that's really, really unique and really, really neat.
1: Well, it saves me time. (laughs) Well, that too. So, but no, we have so when Dave and I, Dave was my previous uh, co-host and co-founder of the Fish Nerds. uh, We started off. uh, The Fish Nerds started off with a different title. We were called the Catch 'Em All Guys, and we were on a quest to catch and eat every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire. And we got from there, that we got all kinds of fame and fortune, got on public radio, and Chronicle, the news, and every newspaper in the state report on our, on our adventures. And we started off as writers. And then it turned out writing is really hard. Uh, you know, telling stories verbally, for me, is, is easy, but writing is, is a challenge. So the podcast was born, and we rebranded uh, into the Fish Nerds. And it just kind of took off. And then uh, we did about 110 episodes um, with Dave, and he decided to leave the show. And when we announced that, um, our fans, uh, you know, we have thousands of people who are paying attention to us, said, whoa, whoa, we don't want the show to go away. How can we help? And so I created a, a little group of uh, Fish Nerds fans, a little private group of people who are really dedicated. And we created this kind of correspondence program. Now our fans are now working for the show, creating content for us and it really has changed the dynamics of the show and it really gets our our audience engaged in what we're doing it diversifies what we're doing which really is the key to sustainability that's really cool yeah yeah and it's and it mean for me it's touching that people care enough to to contribute because you you'll, you'll record jason as you get going the only one listening will be your dog for months and the only feedback you'll get is your dog barking or your wife hassling you or you know, something in your own home. And then all of a sudden, your fans will come out of the woodwork and go, oh, man, I'm loving what you're doing. Remember episode 12 when you talked to this person or you did that and you realize that people do listen and do care about what you're saying and it, it warms you up inside because you really do. You, people don't know for like a 40-minute show, you're putting in four hours, five hours of work for one short episode. Very and uh, it's important to know that. Your fans should know how hard you work.
0: Very true. And it's interesting to get feedback uh and every so often, I had a message yesterday with some feedback, and I'm like, oh, there there are people listening. That's,
1: it's great, that's pretty cool. <laughs> By the way, even negative feedback is exciting for me. You know, if, if I get an uh, iTunes review and it's negative, I love it. I'm like, wow, someone thought about me to listen to my show for an hour, and they said something about it. And, uh, you know, people don't like negative feedback, but it's still someone's listening, and it's exciting. I, I love it all.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a lot of... Uh... It's a lot of fun to just get in there and feedback is, it, it allows you to change up the show and make it better for for your listeners. Yeah. So, on to that, talking about that, tell me what's going on in the fishing world up in uh, your neck of the woods.
1: Okay, so I, this year, just became a licensed fishing guide. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about becoming a fishing and hunting guide in most states, uh, but in this country, every state sets their own their own way of doing things. Maine and New Hampshire have the hardest, they're known for having the hardest guide uh, licensing process in the country. Oh, okay. Uh, the, Maine is the hardest, New Hampshire's, I think second or third. And you have to sit through a three hour long oral board and and prove that you're like some sort of expert outdoors person. I'm not sure what it proves, but it, you have to get through that three hour discussion. Um, and it, and it's pretty subjective on on, uh, <laughs> on what they ask you. So you do that, so I launched this program, my guide service, and I did a series on how to become a fishing guide, um, which has been a very popular downloading show. So I've I've guided my first two trips now on the ice and both have been successful and it's a lot more work than I ever expected. It's not just going fishing, as you know, when you when you when you have you hired guides before, Jason?
0: Oh yeah, through the hunting side and when I went overseas. And yeah, I know so, they were working far earlier than I was up.
1: Yeah. So so when I do an ice fishing trip, I might start at 7. I might get on the ice at 5, 5.30, and I'll set up the shanties and get the heaters turned on and get the coffee going and draw the holes and get the gear organized. And so when my clients arrive, just like when you're being guided with a hunted, you want your clients just to show up. And then you hand them everything they need. You want a fishing rod? Here you go. You want some cup of coffee? Got you covered. You want some bratwurst for lunch? No problem. We got that too. <laughs> so we just try to. It's all about you know you're, you're working. It's a it's a service job. It's not a hunting or fishing job. It's a it's a service job. It's like working at a hotel in a lot of ways. You're just about trying to get those clients comfortable and happy. And then if they catch a fish or they, or they win in their game hunt, uh, that's a bonus. Uh, it's really about getting them in the right frame of mind to tell their stories and enjoy themselves.
0: You're so. fishing just local lakes around you or anywhere that you yeah. want to go
1: well so for now i live in in the mount washington valley which is one of the biggest ski tourist towns in the country when the people come from all over the world come here and my focus is on, is on fishing in the mount washington valley there's some bigger lakes bigger fish to be caught in the state besides here but i'd like to keep my focus on the mount washington valley because first i want the money to stay in the valley i want people who are coming here to stay here spend their money here have fun here Uh, And I'm really dedicated to that. But the other reason is, is I know the water's here so well. And if someone pays me to fish uh, in a lake an hour and a half away, that means I have to go fish that hour and a half lake away, you know, for two weeks before they arrive so I can learn the water and find the fish before they get here. And that's a that's a lot of work. And I don't guide for a living yet. I'm just starting out. I have four other jobs I have to get done. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I don't have the time for that. But but I have fished all the state. I do know where most of the fish live. And if you know enough about habitat and stuff, you can usually work it out. But i um, focusing on the Mount Washington Valley, trying to get those guys spending their money locally.
0: Oh, fantastic. What is the big local fish that inhabits the waters there? So my
1: big one in the last two weeks has been uh, lake trout, which are a togue, they call them in some places. And my first guided trip, I had never been successful at ice fishing for a togue before, for lake trout. Uh, And That was two weeks ago. The guy who hired me is a fan of the show. And on my show, I announced two things. One, I don't like fishing on Silver Lake, which is my biggest lake near me. And two, I don't like trout fishing for togue. Mostly because that lake is so terrible. It's really horrible place and beautiful but no fish in it and so when he hired me he wanted me to do those two things he goes well since you said you don't want to fish silver lake i'm not, i'm going to pay you to go there and he said you don't like fishing for lake trout i'm going to pay you to go lake trout fishing and i said all right well you give me money but uh, you're not going to catch any fish and so i spent all night researching the lake looking at maps i've already fished it for seven years and not been successful so i'd already given that lake up the morning of the trip my snowmobile broke so we had to walk out to the spot i chose if snow was 12 inches deep with four inches of slush under it and 10 inches of ice. So it was really not ideal for walking on. but I made him do it because he told me to. We went out and uh, immediately, within a few minutes, he caught his first big lake trout and he ended up with twelve of the day, which um, a good lake trout day might be two lakers any place. Wow. And I, I put them on 12, and it was dumb luck. <laughs> so that was my first trip. Dumb luck's and, better than no luck. Well, I I, well, I did make homework, so I'm not sure that's fair to call it dumb luck. <laughs> I, I knew roughly where to go and how to do it. And then since then, I, I invited all the local media to go fishing with me. So the local morning radio show came out fishing with me, and while on the air talking about what I do, the DJ Kyle Lake Trout, So which... Gold.
0: All off the of this that silver lake that you don't like to fish.
1: That I, I freaking hate that lake. The newspapers come out and fish with me since then, and everyone's been successful. And they're doing, uh, this weekend, the radio is doing a five-minute special on ice fishing in the Mount Washington Valley. The newspaper's doing a front-page spread on ice fishing in Mount Washington Valley. My my stuff is all featured front and center, because I, I it was my idea for them both to do it.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and
1: it doesn't cost me any money. I just have to work him. You've got to call them up and say, hey, you guys want to go fishing? And they they go, really? We can do that? And they go, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Outside of Lake Trout.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. All right
1: you've got perch we have yellow perch and white perch yeah yellow perch of course are, are super easy nice native fish to catch white perch a little more work um uh, not native and then uh, you know all your warm water species that you have down in texas you know we got a lot of those up here so we, all your largemouth smallmouth bass bluegills pumpkin seeds bullheads all kinds of stuff live here as well and so you have a lot of opportunity for a lot of different kinds of fish and i'm a diversity guy so i like to hit a small pond and catch as many different kinds of fish as possible but whatever the clients want to catch i mean that's we're going to go for
0: oh fantastic now i see south and west of you is that lake Winnipesaukee?
1: yeah beautiful lake yeah love it
0: is that where you like to do a lot of fishing i don't
1: oh okay (laughs) i do like to fish it's a great fishery i don't guide out there though uh and there's two reasons one one again it's an hour and a half from my house to go out there it's too much work Got it. Uh, but the other is I have other friends in the industry who've been guiding there for years. I'm not ready to put my feet in their waters, if you know what I mean. Like, sure. I don't want to undercut them. Right well, now, my first year out, my prices are lower than their prices. I, I don't think I in fairness can charge you know the premium rates they charge. So if I was a guide that went to Pesaki first year out of the gate, I'd be charging my rates, which are a little bit lower than their rates, uh it'd be undercutting them and I don't want to do that. I don't want to like alienate anybody in the industry. Um in fact I just like podcasting, I think there's room for everybody, I think with the guide service services. There's not enough people hunting and fishing. We need more people doing it, and good guides encourage the growth of those industries. So I I don't feel like it's competition, but I don't want to put them in a position where they feel like it is.
0: Oh, and you're right on the Maine border. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm 10 minutes away. Now, does your guide license cross over to Maine, or would that be a whole new place that you'd have to go to get covered under?
1: Yeah, that's a whole new process. And Maine is a different planet in fishing than New Hampshire. Believe it or not, it's it's 10 minutes away, but it's a different culture. Uh, and, and you cross that border and everyone is different. Uh, it's really interesting.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah, you're definitely going to stay in that North Conway area to yeah. to do your, your thing.
1: Exactly. So and it's a lot of fun up here and and there's so much to do, art, music, culture. It's all right here and it's like Little Valley and again, it's one of the, it's, it's number, it's one of the like, top five ski towns in the country. So there's thousands of people coming here every month to go skiing and shopping, whatever else. My hope is like they're in town for a week. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to do a little bit of skiing. I'm going to go, oh, I can go ice fishing. Hey, kids, come on, get in the car. We're going fishing. And then they just pay me and we take them out and have a great time. Have a
0: good time. Oh, yeah. See, we would fish a lot on the Great Lakes. I grew up on Lake Huron. I
1: can't imagine how awesome you know, that
0: was. Uh, it was pretty neat. Uh, you know, I always used to freak out when we'd drive the cars out onto the lake because, you know, yep. just imagine the car going through. Same that. <laughs> but I, I never really ice, well, I rarely ice fished the small inland lakes. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but you'd go out and you'd fish primarily on, on Lake Huron. Mostly you were looking for walleye. At least that's what we were when we were kids is we were out walleye fishing.
1: Mm-hmm. I love, I've never caught a walleye through the ice, but they're delicious now when you're fishing those big lakes are you catching a lot of fish or is it a few fish here and there
0: yes uh, yeah uh,
1: it could if, be either one
0: <laughs> yeah you can go out there and just you know you can't hardly get your your pole in the water and you're just reel another fish out mm-hmm. uh, and then you can have days when you just sit there and, yeah and now this going back nowadays guys can drop fish finders down there and sonar and i mean we we're just going out there with some bait and and fish poles. So it was a whole different ball
1: game. You didn't know what was around. Yeah. I cheat. I use the sonars. I'm I'm all in on electronics.
0: If I was doing it, so would I. Makes it a great way to actually make yourself a more efficient probably the best time i ever had ice fishing though was in ontario on lake simcoe i don't know if you're familiar with that lake
1: yeah i've heard of it
0: Uh, (laughs) it, it's for perch fishing Mm -hmm. holy cow i mean everybody that was out there was was limiting out and these guys take their shanties pretty darn serious i've Um,
1: seen them oh my gosh i i know exactly what you're talking about there
0: i had a shanty that was a sled that you pulled out on the ice and and flipped the top over you Mm -hmm. Uh, these guys i one shanty and you walked into the front foyer of the shanty and you took your boots off Put your slippers on. You went to the next room where they did cooking, and you went into the third room, which is actually where all the guys were fishing. That's
1: amazing, isn't it?
0: And that was just that wasn't uncommon. There was multiple ones out there like that. So if you ever get a chance to head north and into Ontario, fish lakes go It's an absolutely amazing time. Yeah, and I
1: I think too the uh, culture that grows around those fishing villages that pop up is something worth exploring too. Even if you're not fishing, you know, and and ice fishermen are notoriously friendly. Oh yeah, and they you go up and you talk to any these guys first of all they're proud of their shanties they want to show it to you so if you start talking they're going to invite you in they're going to offer you a bowl of chili or some chowder they're going to show you everything and so i think one of the things i always tell people i encourage people to go out on the ice and talk to fishermen because be, it's the friendliest crowd of people and they're bored and they want to talk to somebody yeah i would <laughs> so say 90
0: percent of them out there will just absolutely
1: will share 100% of their knowledge. Yeah, it's amazing. You just dump it right on you. It's fantastic. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff. So, you're down in Texas, right? I am. So, what part of Texas? I live
0: in San Antonio, uh, down in South Texas. I've been to San
1: Antonio. My
0: dog is from Texas.
1: Oh, well, good. Yeah, she's a Blue healer. Around here, uh, in our area, our Humane Society imports almost all their dogs from Texas. Oh, okay. Blue healers almost exclusively from Texas. (laughs) Uh, And they're really popular around here, but I guess there's a lot of stray Blue healers down there, and they just uh, ship them out. Yeah,
0: they're a common uh, livestock dog down here yep. along with uh blackmouth curs and mm-hmm. catahoulas are very common down here yeah uh, and then the state dog is the blue lacy oh and beautiful dog that's a fantastic dog it's probably the smartest dog but yeah those queenslands that's what you have as a queensland healer correct oh yeah blue healer yeah. 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 yeah 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 or Great.
1: australia they call them australian cattle dogs up here they don't call them healers but same dog. Yeah, same. And yeah.
0: great dog, tenacious, a very smart dog.
1: Yeah, welcome. So in Texas, and you're, and you're a big sport, you know, you fish, but you're a hunting guy. Like, yes. That's your, and you've done all kinds of hunting. Have you traveled the world to do this? I know you, you interview people around the world, and you're always talking about big game hunting in Africa and that sort of thing. Have you done that sort of thing?
0: I did. I spent a week hunting in Zimbabwe a few years back. I've gone hunting in Ontario, but I, I miss the bear, so bears are one i'm zero zero. Oh, that's too bad you should
1: come hang out in my backyard
0: all right i'll do that yeah you guys <laughs> yeah. have quite the bear problem
1: we do i've had uh chickens eat my uh, chickens eat my bad bear. bears eat my chickens a couple of times uh and now it's interesting about new hampshire is you don't need on your own property i can shoot all the bears i want to uh without a license but i can't invite like other people to do it for me oh yeah like, that's... i can't i can't lease the land and that sort of thing i can I can hunt my own bears, but I don't hunt at all. And it's not because I'm anti-hunting. Do you want to know why I don't hunt? Why is that? I don't want to deal with large dead mammals in the woods. To me, it just seems like too much work. Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> Yeah,
0: that, you probably get an old timer or two around there, but they'll tell you that that bear meat is fantastic.
1: Uh, that's what I've heard. I've heard people who have never eaten it complain about how gamey meat is and people who like it love it. Uh, and that's about it. Yeah,
0: so. you get the roast and you cook them all day in a crock pot and mm-hmm. uh, you'll have a very, very good meal going on there.
1: Yeah, if I do ever take a bear, and if my bear, if the bear here, by the way, ever attacks my chickens again, I will find a way to kill them. I will. My, my plan would be to make like a bunch of bear chili and get a bunch of bear meat prepared ahead of time. Time, and then when I'm ice fishing uh, at lunchtime, that serve my clients bear meat. Yeah, and then they'll get that like authentic experience. Man, I went ice fishing. I caught a fish. I ate bear. And they'll tell all their friends about it. Exactly.
0: Like, oh, yeah. We don't have uh, East Texas has a few bears when it was real dry here. A couple of years ago, we had uh, quite a few bears coming up out of Mexico, hitting the corn feeders and stuff that people use to feed corn to the deer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that we were seeing uh, quite a few bear pictures, but now that the rains have come and it's, it's kind of freshened up and there's food around the bears. Don't, don't come over too much anymore.
1: Yeah. And you're in less populous. I mean, Texas is so big, <laughs> There's plenty of places for bears to go where they're not going to interact with people. And New Hampshire is kind of a smaller state, and the bears are in our backyards and they live here in our know, yards.
0: Right. Yeah, that's so a little uh, bit that, different. That would be a unique thing to walk out the back door and walk into.
1: Well, it's neat that this uh, past fall, um, no, was, excuse me, the springtime, my, I'm at work. My wife texts me and uh, she goes, "Hey, I'm just want to tell you, send you this picture." And she had just put the kids in the minivan and walked into the house. And between the minivan and the front door of the house, there was just like. You know, like 400-pound bear just sitting there. Wow. And, by the way, my kids and my wife, uh, none of them are afraid of bears. It, it doesn't, in the least, frighten them. They just walk out and yell at the bear and the bear walks away. That's it. There's no aggression. It's not a scary thing. Bears don't like people. They just walk away. Yeah. That's pretty but A amazing. lot of people, a lot of people go, oh, yeah, do something. about that." Like, yeah, the bear's not doing anything. He just happens to live in our yard.
0: <laughs> now, your dog doesn't lose his mind?
1: She loves the bear. Uh, her favorite is finding the big piles of bear poop and rolling in it. Yeah, that's her thing.
0: Yeah, that would be a uh, thing I'd not be happy about.
1: Yeah, she does like chasing the bear. If she's outside, and the bear's outside. The bear will be running through the woods, up in the trees, and she thinks that's the greatest fun ever, chasing bears. Um, but yeah, it doesn't just just don't. Everyone's good. I mean, the bears. We we kind of have like agreement right now where if they don't bother my chickens or eat my trash, I won't eat them. Uh, I've <laughs> explained, I've explained this to them. Yet, so, um, but yeah, it's fun. And again, I haven't killed one yet because I really like seeing them. <laughs> but but it may happen.
0: Yeah, there's definitely you know wildlife as a whole is a great to watch Mm -hmm. and for the most part the bulk of the money that goes into wildlife management is from the hunting and fishing licenses in the industries that we pursue
1: oh i totally agree with that i have uh, people who protest my show and they publicly in my area and they also email my boss at my day job which i work with kids during the day and they question whether or not i can possibly be a good human being because i fish and i talk about fishing and what i and and they confront me in person and i'll say well have you bought a fishing license and they go, why would you ask me that? I said, because the money goes to conservation. And what money have you put towards conservation? You bought markers from Walmart. You've made a nice big cardboard sign you bought at Walmart. Tell me about your conservation work. Nothing? But then you're just talking. You're just making noise. Exactly. But I put money in. I put money in the hat. And I also encourage people, even if they're not fishing, to buy a fishing license. I don't know about your state, but in New Hampshire, we have what's called a hike-safe program. So if you buy a fishing license... It's the same as buying a hike, hiker safety card. It's like an insurance against you get lost in the woods, Fishing Game will come rescue you. If you don't have that and you get lost in the woods, Fishing Game will still come get you, but then you get a bill afterwards.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: <laughs> we don't have high taxes. We have the uh, second lowest taxes in the country in New Hampshire. And so we have to get our revenue someplace. And so I encourage everyone, buy your fishing license. That goes to conservation and acts as insurance if you get lost in the woods and you need rescue. And it's 58 bucks a year. It's small money to pay.
0: Well, and not only is it the hunting and fishing licenses that are sold, if every time you buy lures, every time you buy a pole, every mm-hmm. time you buy a shanty, anything that is outdoor-related... Part of that tax goes back into conservation. Absolutely. And these anti-hunters get out there and they're not conservationists. They misuse no. the word. They're preservationists. Right. right. Preservation is great for a building, but you have to have the conservation, which is the wise use of resources. Absolutely. Uh, they, they don't get that disconnect.
1: No, they don't. And, and I, it's hard. I don't argue with them too much in real life. Mostly I, I'm nice to them and they're mean to me. And I just say, you know, for someone who claims to be kind, you're being awfully rude. But I I don't, you can't argue with them. You're not going to convince them, just like they're not going to convince us. Um, So there's no, there's no change going to happen. You know, they're going to do what they're going to do. I, and and if they get me publicly or they get me on my Facebook page or whatever, I just thank them for the content because for my show, it's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, totally good. I, and again, but to my small town, not only they confront you publicly, but they also might, you might have to work with those people in your career someplace. And so uh, even if I disagree with them and they're rude to me, I am never mean to them.
0: No, you've got to put that best image forward
1: yeah I have a really good time taking people fishing, and I have a really good time hearing people who disagree with me if they could do it in a way that doesn't isn't mean, but it's a different world. Now, I was listening to your early show and you were talking about big game hunting in Africa, and you were also saying that you support any kind of legal fishing and hunting. Correct. And this is where you and I kind of disagree a little bit. I, I agree with you with the concept of your argument, but I have a at an ethical level, like like I don't agree with, for example, a fishing, people always limiting out like i agree there should be limits but there are people who fish and their goal is to catch a limit every single day and just for the sake of doing it and i, I don't like that kind of fishing that's not my style when it comes into hunting i don't know enough about it to argue against hunting things but i do i do get a little queasy when i see you know some of the big game hunting in africa and stuff but i don't have a good case to make against it it just makes me uncomfortable probably like those uh preservationists feel i probably feel like they do about those things what's your thoughts on people like me who can't quite get on their brains on those bigger hunting things
0: well you know it's not so much using the example that you gave of the person that limits out yeah we do know those kind of people exist Mm -hmm. they're probably in far less numbers than we we think you're right but that's why there's a limit and so I, i go back to the same thing that if the person paid the money and is doing it legally now if that limit says six and they got seven right then i think they should be whack right Um, i agree with that but if that limit says six a day then i have to trust whatever game and fish department set that limit that that's Mm -hmm. a number that could be extracted from the population without causing any problems knowing that that guy might go out there and try to get six a day and maybe only get four five two so yes i i also, bank on the idea that there's probably more people like you and I than mm-hmm. just go out there to have fun, uh, versus the person that's going out there to just
1: just hammer it. Yeah, but I'm kind of with you on that one, and and I, have, I and I go back and forth on it because there are days where I do want to limit out. I want to, you know, eat a pile of trout tonight. I'm going to mm-hmm. go and catch, you know, my two trout limit through the ice, and I'm going to eat trout for dinner. I think it's the people who just because it's almost like a um, like a trophy for their refrigerator. They wonder how much fish can I stack in that freezer. And, and i don't know i guess it gets a little queasy but then we get into the bigger game hunting yes. and i see these big lions and the big elephants and all kinds of i don't have elephants but but and i'm going then i get a little more uncomfortable with that stuff but i hear your point on it
0: the bigger game animals african elephant the african lion what's called the big five the hippopotamus mm-hmm. things of that nature those are unique especially for americans because Really, our only exposure to those is in the zoo.
1: Right. It's like our pets.
0: Right. So yeah. if you want to see the anti-hunters really come up in arms, it's any time I post a picture when I took a giraffe. You took a giraffe? Uh, yes. Get off my show. Oh uh, Well, but you have to you have to figure there's a...
1: <laughs> wow. That's insane.
0: Giraffe are a, a game species just like anything sure. else. Sure. Now, is the population going down? Yes. But it's not necessarily been proven that it's from sport hunting. Right. It's giraffe are easy to poach. And why are they easy to poach? Because they're big. Right. And one or two shots from a poacher's rifle will feed a lot of people with a giraffe. Right. Now, the property that I was on hunting in Zimbabwe, they didn't have any predators. The giraffes didn't. When I talked to the manager of the property, there was so many giraffes on that property. They were going to end up culling 55 of them that year. And you sit there and most people say, well, why don't they just move them? (laughs)
1: Like that's easy to do, right? Okay,
0: move them where? Yeah, then what? And at once, who's going to pay for it? Uh, and there's a—I even hate to use his name, but there's a person that considers himself an actor, and his name's Ricky Gervais, mm-hmm. and he's very much anti-hunting. Yeah. When the whole issue with the lion getting killed in Africa went down, right, by that somebody, dentist, right? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of uh, finger pointing going on, and there's a gentleman that's a professional hunter, a fantastic. Uh, guy named Ivan Carter who Mm -hmm. said okay here's what we'll do anybody that is not into hunting but wants to come over and pay the same amount of money to photograph a buffalo that a person hunting that buffalo would take it said we'll do that we'll mark that buffalo out and that buffalo will be considered your buffalo but it won't die you'll just get the pictures from it
1: right so they're not putting their money where their mouth is exactly zero people took that up and that's usually the case with that preservation mentality is there they're they're against it, but they're not actually going to put their money in an area that will do the job that they want to do. And if you, you know? look,
0: right, and there's a thing that floats around uh, a number of social media sites. If you look at Kenya, who stopped sport hunting in mm-hmm. either the late 70s or early 80s, their population density of wildlife is, is virtually gone. But if you look at a place like South Africa, where there's there's regulated and and very strong sport hunting animal numbers are flourishing not only just for the animals that are native to the area but also for something like a a rhinoceros which Mm -hmm. is being poached everywhere else but once they're put under the protection of the game farms where the the money's there to protect them on a day-by-day basis they flourish
1: right well there's that so so let's bring it more local okay let's talk coyotes sure Okay, So a lot of hunters in New Hampshire and around the country I right, see shoot coyotes for fun. Yes. And they just kill them off. They don't eat them. They don't do anything with them. They just kill them. And so the science is coming back on coyotes that they're actually adapted very well for that kind of sport. And by killing them off, actually increases the population of coyotes rather than decreasing it.
0: Have you heard this? I have not, but that really wouldn't surprise me because they're extremely intelligent. Yep. So they adapt and, uh, and figure out what... It wouldn't surprise me that coyotes are good at determining what the older calls are fake.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, these newer calls are, I think,
1: a harder process for them with these digital sounds. Yeah. Well, it, it's uh, it's more to do with um, just, so it has something to do with the calls, but it's it's more to do with the population density. And they, chemically, their body changes. If there's a lot of coyotes in the, or if there's enough coyotes in the area, then they only have one or two pups. So if you take a lot of coyotes out of the area, they'll have nine pups, eight pups, and so they, their population changes with how many coyotes are in their area. And they know through the calls and scent and other reasons how many podca- how many podcasts how many coyotes <laughs> are there. Uh, and so their population grows as you hunt them, as opposed to decreasing as you hunt them. It's, it has an inverse relationship.
0: Uh- very well, could be. It's not a yeah. study I've seen, but it wouldn't surprise me
1: in the slightest Go- bit. Google it. You'll really enjoy. I found it really surprising. Uh, again, I don't know how I feel about hunting coyotes. I have a problem with people not eating what they hunt, <laughs> so it's. Well, I, I always get you know if you're going to kill something, do something with it. I, I just killing things bothers me. There's also
0: the the idea that you have to control predators to a degree. Sure, um, but you need them. They're edible. Oh y- sure, yeah, you can eat them. I've, I've not sure if uh the coyote is something that people would eat. I guess it'd be like a dog. I
1: I think so I think culturally so here's what it comes down to cultural like I think even hunters are squirmish about eating dogs. Like a hunter who will eat anything still might not eat a coyote because they've got dogs. You know, it's it's too close.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's very that's very true. It's not a acceptable food source here in the in the States. Right. Um you know I've seen guys sit out there and shoot prairie dogs.
1: Yes delicious
0: you i'm not sure i would eat those um, and i'm not sure there's much left of them to pick up after they're done shooting them right a lot of that gets left out and for example if you shoot in the prairie dogs they leave those out and guess who eats them the coyote yes it's kind of that circle of life there's as long as it's and and i've said this as long as the person is buying a hunting license Mm -hmm. or, or fishing license following the rules And doing what's set by their state—that's legally set by their state—then I would be a hypocrite to not support them.
1: Yeah, see, I'm a hypocrite, so that's my problem, (laughs) because I don't agree with all the rules. Although I—I don't go after the person. You know, if someone's following the rules, it's not their fault. You know, you you'd be better off if you don't agree with the rules. Go after the rules. Go to the hearings. Have the conversations with your with the people sure not the hunters and fishermen they're not doing anything wrong they're following the rules yeah and it's if you don't thought. like
0: that then you got to go to the rule uh making you know the legislator and right. legislation and say why and yeah they're either going to listen to you or they're going to throw you out it's i've gone under the assumption that as long as it's verifiable and it's it's rules that are set in place and nobody's breaking them mm-hmm. then I've got no problem to each their own. You know, I don't necessarily have any desire to chase bears with a hound. No. <laughs> it's just not is, my... Is that,
1: thing? is that a thing people do?
0: That's a thing people do. It's it's, it's wow. just not something that's ever caught my attention. I'm not against it. It's right. just not something that's ever caught my attention. But as long as it's legal and you're doing it legally, have fun. It, that's yeah. that's your prerogative. You might not like dice fish, and and you might rather chase bears with hounds. So... As long as you're outside paying your your taxes and paying your licensing fees, go for it.
1: Well, that's that's good. I I, I think I can I can I can agree with that. You know, and so and so um, so yeah, that's that. <laughs> Can't argue any more on that one.
0: No, and and hunting is certainly what I tell people is the actual moment when you pull that trigger that's the the ending of it the antithesis of it the the climax of it the the Mm -hmm. it's everything that leads up to it which is what is fun
1: right it's it's the hunt it's being outside it's the tracking and all that sort of thing it so
0: it's just the exactly it's it's the whole package that leads up to it
1: so i have an idea so I have a hunting activity for those who hate hunting. So let's say you want all that stuff: you want to trek animal through the woods, you want to find the animal, and you want to shoot it, but you don't want to kill anything. I've, I've come up with an idea. In New Hampshire, we have a huge problem with ticks. I don't know if you have a tick problem in Texas, but 70% of all of our calf deer, uh, calf, um, sorry, not deer, of our calf moose die because of ticks. Oh, wow. And so they've been working on trying to find ways to like frontline mice and stuff to keep the ticks population down so they don't get to the deer or the deer, to the uh, moose. So I think, what if we let people hunt moose, but instead of hunting with, with uh, bullets, hunt with these little syringes of like frontline? And so you get all the joy of going on the hunt and shooting the animal, but all you're doing know is tagging it with this medicine that's killing the, uh, killing the ticks off and allowing the moose to live. And then they people who want to do it can pay a fee for it and can buy all the equipment to do it and it, it's like a self-sustaining moose protection effort and it, people get to go out and have all that joy of hunting without the uh, without the killing.
0: Oh yeah, they've got that now uh, very similar program in in sub-Saharan Africa and really? they're called Green Hunts.
1: I thought I made it up.
0: When- No, but great call. I don't know that it's done here in the States. But a green hunt would be you want to go out and uh, take a rhinoceros. Mm -hmm. But it's not capable of it because there aren't any really for whatever species you're looking at. Well, modern taxidermy can recreate that photo and and get you a head on the wall.
1: Yeah, they do a great job. Replicas now are so good. So
0: you actually go out and maybe it's a black rhino and uh, you shoot it with a tranquilizing gun. Mm Mm-hmm. And in essence, what you're doing is that that property, that state, that country was going to was going to uh, tranquilize that rhino anyway, because they were going to give it its shots and give it its measurements. They were going to do all that to begin with, Mm -hmm. but they're just getting you to pay for it.
1: That's great. So
0: in essence, it's conservation at its its purest form.
1: That's what all these vegans should go do. Pay the fee. Go tag a rhino. Perfect. I'm in.
0: Yeah, there you go. And then you get your picture taken with it. And mm-hmm. you've sat there and uh, you've watched all the the vetting process go on. You get to participate in it. Then you watch them administer the uh, the reversal. The rhino gets up and off he or she
1: runs. Perfect. I love it. I love it. So that's get, good. I'm, I'm going to do that now. As soon as I get a bazillion dollars to afford it, I'm, I'm in.
0: You just got to figure out how to get people out in the woods and, and let them get close enough to the moose. <laughs> that's not that hard they're not that smart <laughs> you get them out there and uh and yeah i guess with your location and proximity to to maine you probably have a fairly healthy moose population
1: we fairly healthy but the ticks are killing them the, the tiniest animals are killing the biggest animals it's crazy
0: And is it a it's got to be a tick that's not normal it's an invasive
1: no it's it's a native tick it's it's just out of control right now and there's something else out of whack environmentally that's allowing the ticks to get out of control i think it's a mouse or something like that so they move from the mice to the deer to the moose
0: oh okay because you'd think whatever if that was a native tick that animal would have developed some type of uh not resistance to it but
1: well yeah uh, i guess uh, yeah they would have adapted
0: adapted to it
1: now in argue arguably you can. I would. I would accept the argument that if seventy percent of moose cats are dying, thirty percent are stronger, and those thirty percent are going to pass those good genes on, and you know, in the end, it might be okay. You certainly you hope anything. so. Yeah. yeah but, just... so what they're doing now is they're putting these mouse traps in the woods that dangle these little medicine in them, and the mice run through the traps, and the mice get frontlined. and and so they're basically treating the mice for ticks Jeez. before they get to the moose.
0: Wow, it's amazing what they'll do.
1: Hey, they're trying, man. I mean, they're, it's, it's expensive. And New Hampshire is not known for... Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's neat. So. Uh,
0: it's very neat that the guide service is, A, going for you.
1: Yeah. Well, I've like led two trips. I mean, that's hardly winning. But I haven't... We've caught fish. <laughs> so, but you just started. You're just starting out and learning. Uh, I think more importantly is is getting the show content, be able to tell people, yeah, here's how you become a fishing guide, and people can consume that information.
0: Yeah, that's a really um, interesting. I mean, because Maine is not a, a huge, or I'm sorry, New Hampshire is not a huge state. Mm-hmm. So for you to go through the program and then be able to disseminate that out, but knowing that that's one of the, that somebody in, say, Texas can listen to that and say, okay, well, if
1: this is one of the
0: hardest states, and I've just listened to what Clay had to go through, all right, what do I have to do here in Texas?
1: But, well, there's not a lot different. I mean, honestly, in most states—it's you go like I think in, in uh, North Carolina, anyone can be a guide. You Just go and pay the money, and you get a, you get your license. Um, but the actual running the business, which I'm going through the whole process, building the business. Here's the expenses. Here's what it costs for insurance. Here's how you buy insurance. Here's the gear you have to buy. Here's the like the, all the background information. That's all people are looking for because it's every state's going to be different how to become a guide. But running a guide service is still going to be a customer service job right. that people have to understand. It's about taking care of clients. I think that's all people people can take that with them and learn it. And I'm going to make mistakes, and people can learn from my mistakes. I'm going to alienate some other guides, and people can learn from that, and, yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> now,
0: do you also guide, or will you be guiding in the summertime on open water?
1: Uh, so currently, my summer job already is taking people fishing, uh, but not as a guide. I just I drive a pontoon boat, and I bring kids fishing as part of a summer camp. You're not, you don't really have to be a guide to do that. Okay. Um. So I already do that on a small scale, but I, I'm trying to come up with an idea that's a little different than what most fishing guides are doing. So I'm, i because I, I, what I like about ice fishing is it's a whole effort. You go on the ice for a day. You're setting up camp. You're making fire. You're cooking food. You're and you know it's it's a it's a family grouping of people. It's different than just rocket river and fly fishing. So I kind of have this concept of opening up a business where I have a pontoon boat and I take people, a family, on a lake for a full day of seven hours in the water. So in the morning, get on the boat, we cruise out, we catch some smallmouth bass or whatever, when the sun warms up a little bit, bring the kids to a sandbar, they can swim for a little bit, lunch rolls up, we pull up to some bank somewhere, I bring the grill out, cook them some burgers and dogs, a little fishing after lunch, more ropes, bring them back to their car. Like yep. this whole, not just fishing, but just I a want day to on the this, water. an adventure. And ice fishing is the same. It's, it's an ice fishing adventure. It's not just the fish. It's, a whole experience. Well, and it's and no one's doing this kind of thing up here and I so I figured I could do something different and own the business. You're uh
0: what? 3 hours or so north of Boston? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. So, you've got a number of people that can come up that is a Mount Washington, that's the highest point, correct? Uh yeah, in New England. Yep. In New England. So, people come up in that area summer, fall, winter, spring, mm-hmm. uh, they decide they it's a lot cheaper, especially with a family, to rent a boat for a day than buy it and store it all year long to use it once or twice.
1: Oh say so rent a boat and a driver. Well New and New a Hampshire, driver. You need you need a boat and license in New Hampshire. So it's a lot involved with that. And I'd have insurance and everything. They wouldn't have to do a thing. Show up. Yep, just show up, bring whatever
0: up. you know they want, have fun.
1: It's just an easy day out. And so a quick trivia Mount Washington Valley, what do you think the biggest draw to the area is? What brings the most tourists to the Mount Washington Valley? What,
0: what, <laughs> Well, I know it's funny because I just saw something on this the other day. Was that cable car that runs up to Mount Washington? That train?
1: Yeah the, uh, the the cog the cog railway. Yeah. Is that so? Yeah. I, to me, that might be it. I don't know. No, that's that's um, that's really fun. That's 80 bucks a person to ride up the mountain uh, on that. It's, but that's, so that's, that's capturing. The biggest draw to Mount Washington Valley is outlet shopping. Really? <laughs> yeah, we have, because we have no taxes and we have this great outlet system. People come from Canada. And we're only three hours from Quebec and people come down in droves. Thousands and thousands of people come down from Canada, buy our stuff and sneak it across the border. Yeah. Hey, capitalism at its best. It's a beautiful thing. And so I want their money. <laughs> yeah
0: and especially if they're staying down there to to for a few days to yep. shop even if you're taking a couple of the guys out will the
1: ladies shop or vice versa yeah you know not to be too sexist there's it's hard it's hard not to be sexist sometimes we try not to be but we're gonna always there's always a little bit of bias in this world where we uh the right, more more guys fish than girls. That's the way it is. Personally, I'd
0: love to see it just in an equal basis as a father with daughters. Oh, I have two
1: daughters who are fantastic at fishing. They'll put on princess dresses and makeup, and they'll go catch more fish than any boy. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's uh, great. Well, I'm glad that's to a taken off for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that it's something you've been able to get content for your show. You know, if you ever want to try hunting, come on down. You, you can't come to Texas and not go hog hunting. Yeah, we're synonymous for having all the feral hogs
1: yeah i've heard nothing but fun about that a friend who does hog hunting in tennessee and just loves it fills his freezer up and yeah
0: well and you know what they do there's they catch a lot of them they live catch them Mm-hmm. They take them to the, the sales stations down here. And you know where they end up? No. Oh. On the, all the big East Coast cities in the expensive restaurants when you see wild boar. Oh, that's what it is, right? Yeah. That's where, yep.
1: Oh, that I've, I've eaten your Texas wild boar. Then totally delicious. So if you go <laughs>
0: and pay these exorbitant prices in Boston, New York, you know, the big East Coast cities, that wild boar is generally coming out of Texas.
1: Well, then I've helped your economy. You're welcome. Fantastic. Hey, so what's next for your podcast? What's the next big steps for you? What do you got going up? coming up?
0: You know, just keep working. February is shaping up to be, uh, I'm going to focus and highlight nothing but female, uh, nothing but women that are in the industry.
1: Mm-hmm. That's uh, good. So a lot of them.
0: A lot of them, and, and not a, they don't necessarily always get the most praise. Uh, we've got several just fantastic taxidermists that will be interviewed, female taxidermists. We've got a woman that does a just a ton of hunting out of New Mexico, and uh, she's going to be uh, very interesting to talk with. So, there's a, there's a number of good ones coming up, and then it'll be into the springtime, and I think I'm going to do some runs with uh, a variety of different African uh, professional hunters.
1: That's fantastic. So, you got a lot a lot of good stuff coming up. You guys are about 18 episodes in, you said. Yes. And remind people where they can find your show. Obviously, people who listen to this show already know they can go to iTunes and probably Stitcher and I, find you. If you
0: I um, should be on Stitcher. If you go to uh the The iTunes podcast, it's just Outdoor Adventures with Jason, and that's Jason Mm -hmm. with a Y. Or you can go to my website at www.oawjs.com, and I have my podcast there that you can listen to. Or just go, and uh, I'm on YouTube. Every podcast loads up to YouTube. So Mm -hmm. there's a number or uh, look me up on Facebook, Outdoor Adventures with Jason on Facebook, as well as as Jason Sacco on Facebook. And both of those places will contain links to my podcast as well.
1: Of course, at Fishners.com, on the show notes for this episode, there will be plenty of links and photos as well.
0: And in mind, I'll have links to all the fish nerds and, and all that good stuff. It's a wonderful process, and I love that you're focused on that specific area, the, the fishing that you do, but then you, you encompass reports from around everywhere else. I just think that's a really sharp setup.
1: Well, we got lucky um, with having some really great listeners who really wanted to keep the show on the road, and uh, I, and I do feel lucky every day that people care enough to be part of the show. So, and Jason, I thank you for uh, for joining me today. It's totally cool to talk to other podcasters. We we always are in danger of getting too deep into the podcasting world, and we I mean, got I think we did an okay job steering back into fishing and hunting.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, that's that was my fear, yeah. and uh, because it's such a fun thing, if people realized well, how fun it was.
1: I hope you enjoyed my
0: interview with Clay Groves of Fish Nerds Podcast, and here is a sample of the start of one of his podcasts. Please go to the show notes, check it out, subscribe to his podcast. It's always a lot of fun to listen to.
1: FishNerds.com. You know, I'm so excited. Today, we are being visited from Texas with uh, Jason Sacco. Jason is the host of the Outdoor Adventures with Jay Sacco podcast. And Hey, Jason, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on, Clay. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and tell me, first of all, you've got, what, eight or nine episodes in the in the bag already so you're relatively new in the podcast world i want to know first of all why are you podcasting as opposed to any other media you can get to and then like what inspired you to do it what is your goal for the podcast if there is one at all
0: sure so as i got into hunting i said this is a great medium for somebody i am handicapped so i can't always get out and get available to do some of the hardcore hunts that i would love to participate in and this was a great way for me to talk with the people that do get out in the field share their stories and allow of the hunting podcasts lack that that angle that interest so i thought i would bring it to everybody that's out there
1: well that's fantastic and so so you had some big experience when you're younger now you're doing this and trying to find a new angle and are you intimidated by the giant world of outdoor podcasts or you feel like you've been welcomed so far into this world surprisingly i feel like
0: i've been welcomed and i think i've done uh, about 17 episodes now and okay. not they've they've been quite uh dynamic in scope some have been an hour some have been 15 minutes so there's no Mm -hmm. real common time yeah Um, isn't
1: that the fun of podcasting there's no rules you just do what you feel like doing it's like the wild west what am i gonna do whatever i want exactly
0: and nobody's gonna punch you in the face
1: well, yeah, that's what Dave, Dave Jackson always says. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they will, though. Well, yeah, on some of the <laughs> topics,
0: in the outdoor podcast industry, a lot of these folks that are outdoor guides, uh, hunters, things, they're very good at that, but they're not so good at telling their story. They can really lead to some quite boring listening, and mm-hmm. that's what I thought about is growing up listening to radio disc jockeys and people that were very good at telling the story. How could I try to bring that story out of these guys who have some very interesting stories just might not always be the best at telling
1: them. Right. Well, we can't all be good at everything. See, I'm a good storyteller, but not a great guide. Well, so, there's the win. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not a
0: I'm probably not a good customer to some and uh, probably not a good guide to any I do like to tell and like to pull that story out of people.
1: Well, you know the reason that people do all this stuff. I mean, ultimately comes down to like everyone who hunts and fishes has one thing in common—they all talk about it. So it gives everyone that commonality because everyone who hunts and fish has a story to tell about it, has an adventure to share. Exactly. And so I guess if you can pull that from them, then you're you're ahead of the game.
0: Well, let's hope so. It's been fun so far. Uh, as you said, I'm I'm just new to this. I definitely don't have the catalog of uh, experiences and podcast episodes behind me that some do. But you've got to start somewhere, and it's been a great learning. experience experience. This has really been a lot of fun to learn both the interview and the editing and everything else that goes along into it.
1: Well, you came into it in a good time. And I, I, I for one, as a been doing this for a few years now think there's not nearly enough outdoor podcasts and so welcome welcome to the world of outdoor podcasting and i think you're going to find your biggest hurdle is when you go to these outdoor shows and you say hey i make a podcast they're going to be looking at you like a what because the, the outdoor world is not savvy yet in the podcasting stream you know and you have to really educate your audience on what a podcast is and that's the biggest challenge i've had with with going to big outdoor shows
0: yeah, that's really been the truth. I've I've almost, if they're, I hate to say age-wise, but if they're not younger, I just use the term internet radio show.
1: That's what we do. It's on-demand, on-demand radio.
0: Because that so. clicks instantly. They're like, oh, okay.
1: Yep. And then it's, how do I listen? And you go to your website, push play. You yep. don't have to complicate it. You exactly. Know, if they don't know what a podcast is, explaining what a podcast app is is a waste of breath. So you just go to my website, push the play button, you're good to go. That's why I optimize my website for podcasting. It's so just right there in your face, push play.
0: Yeah, we had a gentleman at this recent show I was at that had an iPhone. Mm -hmm. He said, well, let me show you something. Can I borrow your phone for a moment? And he's like, sure. Mm -hmm. And so I pulled up the iPhone the podcast app typed in the name of my podcast. And he was just like, I had no clue what this app was even
1: for. It's amazing, isn't it? And, and the whole world is open up right there. You just changed his life. So
0: <laughs> he, he saw that. I of course hit subscribe and then let him go and said, just, all you gotta do is plug your headphones in and, and listen and find a topic, find something that you like, type it in there. And you'll probably find somebody talking about it. He was amazed. I'm I feel bad for anybody that was coming up to talk to him about hunting afterwards, because I think he was going to get sidetracked <laughs> real easy. <laughs>
1: That's how I am. I get it. So that's cool. Well, hey, welcome to the podcasting world, and I'm glad you're you're part of it, and I hope that you get, you know, your first uh, 50 episodes under your belt and then find your comfort zone and get another 50, and it just gets more and more fun. It also gets easier, <laughs> which is nice. Well, that's yeah. that's
0: what I'm hoping is there's just that learning curve, and as you start to get that under your belt, yes, I appreciate your and welcome and it's been a lot of fun.
2: Cool. Good. Early spring, it's getting green Fisher on the bed Hear those turkeys gobble It's raining in my head The winter rides bass boat Here comes another year Yeah, we command the outdoors Round here We Command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake. Flipping jigs and Carolina rigs, from early morning till real late. Bonfires on the creek bank, kick back a couple beers. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors Next year's does until you know winners on the way blinds and deer stands The fever starts to creep Fill our freezers full of ducks Lots of tender deer Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we We Command the outdoors Yeah, we So grab your guns and shells, boys, put on your camouflage, cause we command the outdoors around here, we command the outdoors.